You're listening to the Business with Purpose podcast with your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com. This podcast takes you behind the scenes with some of the world's most generous entrepreneurs, from the CEOs of mission-driven brands to directors of small community nonprofits and everything in between. Molly is sitting down with men and women who believe in changing the world not only through their personal lives, but also their professional careers. And now, here's Molly. Welcome to the Business with Purpose podcast. My guest today is... Such an exciting guest. I mean, let's be honest. Every week on my show, I'm like, I love my guest. And that's because, you know, let's be honest. I don't pick guests that I don't want to talk to. But my guest this week is Matt Richardson from Causebox. And Matt, first, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Happy I, to be here. Yeah. I'm, well, I'm happy for you to be here. I have been looking forward to talking with you for quite some time. I am a just a massive fan of Causebox and what you guys are doing. I I mean, if, if you guys are listening to the show and you follow my blog, you know that I talk about Causebox all the time because it's my like by far my favorite subscription service I've ever tried, ever. Um, so we're going to kind of get into what Causebox is. We're going to get into all the amazing things that they're doing. But before we do that, Matt... I would like for you to give us the Matt 101. This is what I have all my guests do. Kind of give us a little bit of a breakdown of what you, uh, you know, your story. So, you know, where did you grow up? Where, where did you go to school? What did you study? But, like, you know, what happened? What were sort of all the steps that you took to kind of get to where you are today? Okay, that'll be fun. Let's see. So it started in the Bay Area uh, in a little suburb just south of San Francisco. I... Ended up going to school in Southern California uh, at a small liberal arts school called Claremont McKenna College. So I I studied for the first two years uh, of my enrollment, I studied finance and economics. And then I sort of had, I guess, a quarter life crisis and decided that I I really didn't like either of those things. Um, I had mistaken them uh, for business cause they didn't have a business program. It was a liberal arts school. So I just assumed they were the same things. And when I realized that they weren't, it coincided with, with some wanderlust. So I decided to take some time off and figure out what I wanted to do next. Um, if I wanted to continue to pursue a degree in economics and finance. And, uh, so I, I, so I just, I took a year and I traveled, uh, and, brought, and I hadn't, to the, at this point in my life, read a lot. Uh, I'd kind of gotten by. I was a pretty good like literature and writing student somehow, but I'd never really read the things I was supposed to read. So I felt kind of bad about that. I felt like I had uh, been missing out, um, and especially because right before I decided to take this time off, I had taken a Russian literature course, which ended up changing sort of my trajectory a lot. I just found that the book, the books we were reading were incredibly illuminating and they spoke to so much more than Russian culture in like the 19th century. They said so much about psychology and philosophy and even economics and just so many things. And so I said, well, what I'll do is I'll take a Kindle loaded up with all of the free books that were written, um, before, I guess, the uh, the like before when they were, when they're, I guess they're free before like a certain year. Yeah. So so yeah, I took I took a Kindle loaded up with all those things and it spent this year reading. Um, and then 
and what it had sort of it could I could go on and on about what happened during that year. I ended up this sort of surprised me, but I ended up starting to hitchhike a lot. And that's that's kind of awesome. Yeah, no, it it sort of, sort of ended up defining a lot of sort of things about what I think. But yeah, no, I I've, I've hitchhiked now around even the U.S. a lot and a lot around South America and Eastern Europe, and it just fell in love with that. And I can talk more about that uh, in a little bit. But um, yeah, I read a lot of books, came back, decided to finish up and get a literature degree, and um, so it's very non-business practical. Uh, ostensibly at least and um and and then yeah I and then right after I graduated I I thought I was going to start a restaurant I should mention that through throughout my my life I've I've always started little businesses yeah um so I knew that even though I wasn't going to get a business degree uh that no matter what I was going to find myself starting something um I had in throughout high school I would uh get three couches on Craigslist, find my friends with trucks and then sell them for a hundred bucks. I would do that every weekend. And like, I found this, these piles of uh, mulch and wood chips in public parks and I would get my friends with trucks to load them in the back and I'd sell the wood chips and hire people to spread them. So I'd do things like this, give the things names, brand them. That was the one was called the mulch men. Um, I love it. And, yeah. And then, then the one that kind of took off when I was like, okay, this is a, uh, this is kind of like the first really serious one. And I was always kind of building things around my own schedule and just kind of having fun, but also trying to make some money and learn business principles just like on in the real world, um, on the fly. And the one that kind of stuck and I ended up doing it for two summers and really grew it was a residential window washing company. Um, so that all started because, and this is kind of a rambling answer, but I'll try to tie it all together. No, I love it. I love it. Um, so that all started because my mom asked me to wash our windows and I couldn't believe that um, she, she asked me because her window washer was unreliable and hadn't shown up. And so I said, well, whatever he charges, I'll just do it. And uh, she told me that he, he charged like $250. I could not believe that anyone would pay that to wash their windows. And to then, wash windows. Um, yeah, it just blew my mind. And then she told me, well, no, like all of our neighbors do this and all of their neighbors do this and everyone does this. And I was like, wow, well, I'll get to your windows after I'm done with all the neighbors then. So I went door to door and she was right. Everyone needed their windows washed. So we started like a referral program, started hiring people. I got, um, this is how, this is the first real business I started with Brett now who is the co-founder of Causebox and my other company, Grammar. We ended up, uh, I mean, it was still to this day, probably the <laughs> the most successful business I've had. It was just so, it was, and it was a lot of fun. It was just fun going door to door, talking to a lot of people and, uh, um, yeah, just, really, I don't know, hustling, um, and, and just learning to build a brand and referrals and all that sort of stuff. So I've kind of always been known that this is the sort of stuff that I love to do. And so that, that's why I wasn't too concerned about going and getting a literature degree and, and continuing to pursue sort of entrepreneurial passions. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I decided I wanted to start a restaurant after school. I had been spending like six months working on recipes, it was a taco idea. I wanted. It was a taco concept that I uh, that I had. So I was cooking tacos for my friends every weekend. And when I wasn't cooking tacos or like reading books about restaurants, I was uh, eating tacos at taquerias <laughs> in the, in the Mission District of, of San Francisco. Driving um, down to LA for yeah. um, to go to just every place I could find and and just taking notes and. Um, by and the about way, tacos time, are always a good idea. <laughs> right? Yeah, no, they're they're uh, they're the they're the true 
they're just, they're perfect. Yeah. Um, uh, so uh, at this time, I was like, also didn't want to do that alone. I had kind of decided that that just didn't at this stage want to like, I, everyone had told me, you know, they were confident that I could get it started, but they, they told me like, everyone said the same things about restaurants and no one had great things to say, but the main thing they said was it will just be incredibly exhausting doing it alone would be really difficult. So I tried to get Brett to do it with me and, um, he wouldn't do it. He, he already had a good job and he, he thought it was a bad idea, which, um, I'm grateful that he did. Um, so <laughs> sounds like a so, good friend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He was honest. We, we were eating, we were eating some of the tacos I cooked for him. Maybe they just weren't very good. Um, and, but he did say, you know, we, we had this one idea when we were washing windows to start a stationary company that was focused on gratitude. And there's so many reasons why I think that's a good idea. And I'd be willing to quit my job and do it with you if you, if you wanted to do that. So I said, okay, let's do it. Um, so we did. We started the stationery company uh, named Grammar Gratitude Co. Uh, and it got off to a good start, uh, a really successful Kickstarter campaign, and then continued to be distributed and put in a couple of subscription boxes. Um, and so our experience having participated as a vendor in a couple of subscription boxes that were really big ones uh, allowed us to see what, what kind of an impact it could have on a company that was just starting out. Um, and for a lot of reasons, we thought this is a pretty good business model, first of all. And then also, we just really liked the idea of being able to help brands like that were at our stage, yeah. um, which didn't have big marketing budgets, but had big dreams. And uh, and we knew that the one particular type of business that we cared the most about was social enterprise. And that was where uh, there wasn't a box. And so came up with this idea of Causebox. And uh, about so we decided to launch two companies, which is a in hindsight, a very bad idea. Um, <laughs> You're just really, really ambitious. I think so. I think maybe too ambitious. Um, but yeah, we, we, and so we did do that for, uh, so that way we launched Causebox two years ago now. Um, and it's, it sort of was off to the races and it's been just a, a really a joy to operate it, uh, and build it and, um, and meet people like you and, um, see the sort of impact it can have for the kind of companies that we love to support. Um, so that's that's a long, long answer, um, but it covers a lot of the bases. I love it. Um, so, so you guys, you started Causebox, and it, you know, you you kind of saw the the potential that a subscription box can really have on a small business because you'd participated in some. What were some of the um, subscription boxes you guys had put Grammar Gratitude in? So Grammar had been in Pop Sugar's Must Have box. Uh, it was in FabFitFun, um, FabFitFun's box. It got distributed through uh, Mops, uh, Mothers of Preschoolers, yeah. which was like, yeah, that was a big one for us because um, they bought like three hundred thousand cards. Oh, um, so wow. that that was uh, that was no joke. So between all of them, we sold like, I want to, I think it was something like seven hundred thousand cards. Oh um, my goodness. Yeah, and it and that was like something that we really like felt good about. And, you know, like it wasn't on a one by one basis people making decisions to buy our cards, but at the same time they were experiencing them. And our story really was um, was about getting people to spend time on each other. So the more people that that had impressions um, on what we were doing, just felt felt really good. I love that. So you teamed up with Brett to launch Causebox, and when you guys were first starting out, what were some of the ways that you guys were 
because you'd had obviously you being like the entrepreneurial entrepreneurial <laughs> I can't say that word yeah. today Entre- having yeah. the entrepreneurial spirit you know you started lots of businesses and all of a sudden you guys are kind of going into business together to well you know kind of doubly because you're starting grammar gratitude and you're starting cause box which spoiler alert grammar gratitude just like recently you guys like merged yeah 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 so I, I can speak to that yeah, well, we made a decision. At a certain point, it became clear that we were we were way over our heads trying to manage two companies when one was was already too much. Um, so we we had distributed grammar through Causebox a few times, and to and it was really well received. And so we didn't want to stop, you know, creating cards when we could. But at the same time, it was just too much to try to manage the brand separately. So we decided to roll them into each other and. and so whenever we want to include stationery or specifically thank you cards, we'll turn to Grammar because it's a really strong brand and uh, the ethos is so clear and it aligns so well with what we're already doing at Causebox. Um, we didn't think it made sense to dissolve it completely. And as we continue to grow at Causebox, it will come into play, I think, more and more um, in, in different ways. But at the moment, it's just kind of like the, the stationery sub-label of Causebox. Yeah. Yeah, that makes total sense. So when you guys launched Causebox, obviously, you know, this was a couple of years ago. And so while subscription boxes are really huge right now, they were still, I mean, they were big two years ago, but they were definitely, I would say, a little bit more in the, I don't want to say infancy stage, maybe toddlerhood, maybe, maybe, maybe subscription boxes were in toddlerhood. Um, so, you know, what were some of the things you guys did starting out to sort of, I guess, propel and really market um, especially because, you know, cause-based brands, while, you know, everybody's like, oh, I love that. That's such a great story. You know, it is a more kind of unique niche. So what kinds of things did you guys do to really get the Causebox brand out there? Yeah, good question. Um, so a few things. The first and most important thing that we did, and this was a lesson that we learned from um, the, the time we spent building Grammar, um, was that it's really difficult, like you said, to get noticed. It's really a noisy world, um, and everyone's got a story to tell, and um, a lot of them are great stories. So we realized we needed to partner with somebody who already had a platform that we could speak from, and so we, or else it was going to be really slow going. And with subscription boxes, slow going doesn't work too well. Um, you just kind of need to be at a certain scale to make it work for the brands yeah. um, that you're supporting. If you're not, if you're really small, it's just hard for them to make it work too. And you're not really able to offer the same sort of um, platform for them. So we knew if we were going to do it, we had to do it. It had to happen quickly at the beginning. And so we partnered with a company called Sevenly uh, out in Orange County. At the time we were in LA, so we moved out there. They liked the idea a lot of Causebox and offered to put their name on it and support it with their marketing platform and, and work alongside us and provide some human resource support. So for the first year, we kind of served, we, it, was a, it was a joint venture and a partnership. And yeah, they, they had, a, they had a, an enormous community on Facebook and on all of the social platforms that uh, was value aligned, really cared about um, causes and um, companies that were trying to make a difference. Yeah. So it really resonated with their community and got off to a good start. Um, and then about a year ago, we decided to. It was kind of like already in a. It was in a good place, and we amicably decided to go our separate ways. And um, 
so yeah, it's now kind of completely op operated by our team um, independently of Sevenly at this point. But that was a really important part of our launch for sure. We owe them a lot for that. I love that. I love that. Yeah, I remember first coming across Sevenly because they always had like really awesome graphic tees that would go like viral on Facebook and everybody would want them. <laughs> that was yeah. actually like legitimately how I was first introduced to the brand. But sometimes it takes something kind of as silly. I don't know, maybe not silly. I don't know. You know what I mean? Um, like that to kind of introduce you to the brand. And that was, um, that was actually how I came across you guys. Um, and once I discovered you guys, I, I think I got my first box a year ago. And okay. I, oh, we, no. Okay. So I take that back. I mean, I, I saw you guys through Facebook, but then my dear friend, um, she's one of my, my best friends, Bethany Tran, who is the founder of the Root Collective. Um, the Root Collective was going to be featured in one of the cause box boxes. And she was like, you probably want to sign up for this box. I'm yeah. just saying. And I was like, okay, yeah. Okay. That sounds great. And then I got it. I got my box with the Root Collective in it, but then I was like, my world was opened. <laughs> and I was like, this is the best ever. Um, so, you know, you guys partner with so many amazing companies. And you have, I mean, just in the year that I've been getting cause boxes, because, you know, for those of you that are listening that don't know, cause box, obviously we've been saying it's a subscription box, but it's quarterly. So they, they come every season. You get, you know, your winter, spring, summer, fall box, and they're all sort of themed. So over the summer, you know, it was all like happy things. There was like a, you know, like a beach tote and a beach towel and kind of stuff like that. Then the fall sort of had like a living well sort of theme you had um the iron the lucky f iron fish um you had the the apron from um uh, Liz league and so you've got like all these just really cool themes that you've got how are you guys connecting with some of these companies you know what is sort of the work i, I mean obviously i know there's so much work that goes into planning each box but you know, how do you guys kind of decide what companies you're going to feature? How do you go about, you know, looking for new companies and, and stuff like that? Yeah, good question. So uh, at the beginning, we were sourcing all of the partnerships ourselves because we weren't really a thing yet. Um, so we had to sort of think about how we wanted to curate a box at a high level, like what we wanted it to feel like and be like. And, um, and then we'd start going out and saying, like, okay, so who are some um, companies that make scarves that, that are made ethically and um, support artists and communities? Or we'd, we'd kind of have an idea of what we wanted, and then we'd be able to find it. Um, and it's amazing how many, how many of these types of companies there are that are also aesthetically compelling. So, yeah, uh, yeah and that's been really encouraging. So at the beginning, it was a lot of that, um, a lot of hustle, a lot of, like, you know, um, just yeah, scrapping, and then it's really kind of turned over the last year to where every day we get several emails from different companies um, who want to want to be in the box. So we now it's kind of more of a combo. We we um, speak to several companies a week who who reach out to us, and then also if we haven't heard from somebody that we really want to work with at this point, then we'll just we'll just reach out to them. And they most most companies in in this space know about us at this point. Yeah. So, um, it's a little easier to make, make a partnership work, but yeah, it's, uh, it's sort of evolved. Um, and it's, and it just gets a little bit, um, the process gets a little smoother every time now. Yeah. And so what, I mean, you, you kind of mentioned, obviously you 
sort of had this very, I mean, you had your, your liberal arts and literature background, and then you also had a passion for business. What is it about social, you know, you know, socially conscious companies? What is it about brands that are just really, you know, doing awesome things in the world? What is it about that that just really fires you up that just we're like, this is something that is, you know, there's a need here that we want to fill. Um, what, what was it about that that just really motivated you to start it? Yeah, let me tell you a story. Um, so I'll, I'll give you like the, the short to medium length version of it because it, it, this definitely speaks to our, our, our team's passion for what we're doing and certainly my own. I love uh, it. Yeah, so it, it's all, it, was, it wasn't super long ago when this happened, but it definitely reminded me and sort of revitalized me about what we're doing and why it's important. So uh, I was on a bike ride with my sister. We had just uh, spent the night uh, summiting a mountain and then we were coming down and we, uh, our phones had died. So, and we were trying, and then we, were, we had about a 40 mile bike ride back up to her, her car. Um, it was a Saturday morning and, um, the, you know, we're right now we're on the coast of, uh, California. So the Pacific coast highway, we're biking up it and her car is like up near Santa Barbara, which is sort of, it's, it's like, um, about an hour and a half North of LA, two hours North of LA. Yeah. So we're, we're biking up the coast. Um, and when we were on our way down from her car to the place that we ended up camping and hiking into, um, we had phones, so we knew where we were going on the way back. It wasn't too complicated, but we did end up getting lost. So, um, I'd say it was probably around seven in the morning and, um, we're, we, we make a, a wrong turn and end up in this farmland. And, um, in this area, it's sort of rare to have farmland, but like on this really nice sort of picturesque coastal area. Um, but, it's interesting because we're moving at such a slow pace relative to the way you usually pass through farmland. Um, and the way that I usually hear it talked about is like when you're on a road trip, you go through farmland and that's the part of the story that you kind of skip over. Um, you know, it's just, there's nothing to see here. It's just farmland. So yeah. we're, we're passing through it at a slow enough pace to start noticing signs of life. And I, you know, you know, I, I care a lot about where my food comes from. I mean, I, I think it's really, uh, it's, it's an important thing to regard, but I don't spend, ton of time thinking about it on a very granular level. So to pass through it at this pace and see wheelbarrows resting on fences and bags, grocery bags, like sitting um, right next to a field and noticing that people actually live here, work here, create their livelihoods here, it, it sort of infused it with a sense of life that I hadn't really uh, thought of um, prior to this. And so my wheels are turning, it's early and, um, and but there is no one around. There's just signs of life. And so I'm starting to think, oh, this is interesting. And then we turn a corner and all of a sudden there's lots of signs of life. There's about, I'd say, 60 immigrant farmers who are most likely undocumented, who are literally running up and down fields with trash cans on their heads. And they're picking up red bell peppers and throwing them in the, in the trash cans. And their faces are covered um, to prevent pesticides from getting into their lungs. Um, and they're just, they look so exhausted and they're getting, there's a foreman who's yelling at them and this all just, just completely crushes me. I mean, I'm watching wow. it and the inhumanity of it all is, is really gnawing at me. And I, I just stopped the bike and with me and my sister sit there and watch this all happen. And 
and it kills me for so many reasons. But one is that, you know, this is a Saturday morning. This is so unfair. This is so wrong. This is so wrong at any time of the day, but a Saturday morning, it just felt so much worse. And, um, my sister who studied food systems, uh, knew a little bit more about what was going on. She explained to me that the reason they were running was because, um, they get paid per barrel. And so they're hustling as much as they can and even competing against their friends to get, um, as many barrels full as they can that about eight of them probably live in a room, a one room apartment, um, and that their living conditions are inhumane and that they can't rise up and unionize because they'll get deported. And, um, they're just completely stuck and it killed me. And so I, it was, you know, it was just horrible. And so we ended up finding our way back to, uh, my sister's car and I drove home that day and I couldn't stop thinking about it. And, um, I got home and I was sitting on my porch and started talking to one of my roommates and, um, and I just told him I can't support what I saw this afternoon. I told him the story. I told him I always kind of cared about what I ate and like where it came from, but this really fundamentally changed uh, the way I think about um, where our food comes from on a, on, a, on a deeper level. Yeah. And so I said, well, what, what can I do today and tomorrow and the next day to, 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 to not support that, to, to, to choose differently and said, well, you know, probably the best thing you can really do, only thing you can really do is just, um, unless you want to spend all of your time vetting every farmer, uh, is just go to Whole Foods because that's their value add. That's their value prop. That's what they do. They make sure that at least, the very least, you're going to pay for it, but you're going to get something that um, was ethically sourced and harvested. Yeah. Um, and so I, I agreed. I said, well, you know, that's true. And if it does come at a high cost, at least it's not uh, the cost of someone's dignity. Yeah. So yeah. now that's what I'll do. If I don't have time to do all the diligence on my own, I'll, uh, I'll eat that way and I'll really ask tougher questions. And then I started thinking more, I was sitting on the couch some more and it's like, you know, this shirt used to be cotton and this cotton was harvested a certain way. And I wonder how that was done. And then these shoes and this bracelet and this couch and all of these things could have two types of stories. They could have the bell pepper story or they could have a really pure, beautiful story that supports the livelihood of people. And, and I, and it occurred to me at that moment that what we're doing at Causebox is supporting brands that aren't at Whole Foods, non-consumable products that are, um, that are doing things the right way, that are creating a better world, that are the alternative to all of the, the kind of things that I had observed earlier that afternoon. Um, and that there's no platform for that right now. There's no one that sells those types of products all in one place that helps people find those types of products and gives them that safe place where they trust that someone's done the diligence and, and um, wants to introduce you to, to brands that really care and do things the right way. So that really reinvigorated me. Um, it made me really proud of what we're doing and made me really, really want <laughs> what we're doing to continue to grow um, and flourish in ways that prior, I, I, I didn't really dream as big, I'd say. Um, but now I really, I, I think we need to be bigger because I think more people need to know about this sort of stuff. Matt, I legit, uh, like, I, I'm like tearing up a little bit over here. <laughs> like that was just like, I love that story because that is, that is so much of like what my heart is and so much of why I want, I mean, why I, why I do this podcast and why I try to blog about brands that are doing it the right way because that like that is what it's about it's about the people yep. and 
and and trying I'm trying to like break down the stigma, the barrier. I'm not really sure what it is of just like people think, you know, supporting brands that are doing awesome things is just they think it's unreachable, uh, unreachable because they're like, oh, well, it's, it's too expensive. I, I, you know, it's just I can't afford that or I can't I can't do that. It's just, you know, it's, it's too complicated. I don't want to take the time to, to to find out and ask the tough questions. Mm-hmm. And that's just hard for me because I'm, I'm like, no, there's there's a better way it can be done. You know, it's you know, and, and there's there's a way that you can run a business, too, and 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 do it with purpose and do it with intention and really care about the people behind everything that you're doing, you know, whether you're running a a financial advising business or whether you're a blogger or whether you are an entrepreneur or a clothing designer, like whatever it is, like you can make a positive impact through what you're doing, you know, by supporting people at, at, you know, kind of on all fronts that are doing things the right way. You know, whether you, you know, buy paper from somebody that's using or you know ethically sourcing it or recycling it or whatever you know (laughs) know, it it really can happen on on all fronts and I just think what you guys are doing and and your heart for this company just really really shows and man I love that story that is awesome yeah well I'm glad it resonates I totally agree with everything you just said um so I want to you know obviously I want to shift a little bit real quick because I, I there's also a part of me that can't get over the fact that you are like a professional hitchhiker. So oh, can we yeah. talk about that for a second? Uh, yeah. So when did, the, okay, one, uh, what was your motivation for being like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to hitchhike. And yeah. two, I would love to hear an awesome hitchhiking story. Okay. You asked for it. Um, yes. They're, they're connected. I've got a lot of awesome hitchhiking stories. I bet. Uh, so maybe we can do a part two if you if you need to, if your appetite is wet. Yeah, but, my my husband uh, actually funny story. My husband I think it was like either in college or right after college. He said he went through a period where he just would like pick up hitchhikers all the time. Oh, so that's funny. He was just like, well, yeah, I don't know. I was just like, he was like, I'd be by myself and like see a guy and be like, all right, sure. Like, so well, those are the kind of people I love. So tell him thank you um, yeah. from afar. Yeah. So. Yeah, a great question. Uh, it's something I love talking about um, because it's not happening much anymore, and it definitely has shaped the way I, I think about the connectedness of things and um, and the goodness of people. So I'll tell a story uh, about like how about how it began. Um, Sounds awesome. And it's a good story. So I I was in Romania um, and I had spent so. I had gone to the capital of Romania. At the time, I was working at an orphanage, and it, it occurred to me that I, 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 I had learned so much from my time working there that I, they didn't really need me, and I was, it was more about what I was learning than about the help I was providing. And so when somebody asked if I could accompany them to the capital, Bucharest, to be there while they applied for a visa because they just wanted company, I volunteered. And so I went down there, and he was expecting to be there for three days, and ended up getting denied within a couple of hours and it was truly, truly sad and disheartening because the reason he was denied was because they thought he would never come back to Romania um, if he got out. Um, So he should have been allowed to go, but he wasn't. And so he was really sad and he went home. And so there I was in the capital on my own and I didn't have anywhere to stay. And that's sort of 
the way I like to begin a lot of my adventures. But um, I, for the first time, start like started a a couch surfing profile, which before Airbnb, uh, couch surfing was the way people stayed with other people that they didn't know. Um, awesome. And it was free, so I, I mean, I totally get why Airbnb has taken off. But at the time, I couldn't fathom why you'd pay for it if people were willing to give up their couch for free. So I. I applied to stay with this one person. They welcomed me, and so I spent the next like six hours trying to find their flat, um, and I couldn't find it. And I was a pretty resourceful person, and um, it made me feel incredibly dumb. I could. So the one thing about Romania that's interesting to note is that it was it's a former communist country, and so there's entire city blocks and and boroughs that are like all identical. Like you can't distinguish one thing from the next, and so the, and there's not in a lot of cases street signs. So when he gave me an address, there was, you know, to give myself a little credit, there was really no way to find this place. Yeah. And so there I was wandering around the city for six hours and finally gave up. It was so far past dark, and I I started asking people, and I was embarrassed at first to do that. And so I was like, you know, I need I need help. This is where I'm trying to go. And sure enough, this cabbie goes, well, it's right there. You know, turn around and it's this one building, and it looked like all the other ones. Apparently, I. He knew that. Um, so he walks me to the door. I go in. I have dinner with this couple. And uh, before I'm um, before I'm about to go to sleep, the guy who's hosting me tells me, hey, just so you know, there might be another guest coming tonight. Um, he, If he gets in, he'll be getting in around 2 or 3 a.m. Um, and at this time, it's probably oh, like 10 or 11. And I'm thinking to myself, and he goes, yeah, he's, you know, he's apparently hitchhiking from uh, Austria all the way down to Greece where he's trying to catch a boat to get to Brazil. And he starts telling me this crazy story. And I'm thinking to myself, there is no chance this guy's going to make it here tonight. Cause in the middle of the day, I couldn't find your apartment. There's no way this guy's going to find it. <laughs> and, uh, so I go to sleep and, uh, 3am there's a knock on the door and I half asleep, go answer it. And there he is, this guy, Thomas, he's got a big old beard and a big backpack with pots and pans and a tennis racket hanging off the side. And <laughs> I, uh, I say, you must be Thomas. I've, I've heard you were supposed to come. I truly cannot believe you're here. And he, uh, <laughs> he laughs and he asks me where you can make some rice. So I show him the kitchen and before I go to sleep, I say, Hey Thomas, I got to go back to sleep. This is I just want to confirm that you're real. Uh, so can you just tell me a story? You look like you have a lot of stories. Tell me a story I'll never forget. And uh, so he's cooking his rice, and he proceeds to tell me four or five stories in a row that I still haven't forgotten. I mean, like, <laughs> truly unbelievable stories. And he tells me how he hitchhiked from the tip of South Africa up to Norway, and how he uh, got a job as a tennis instructor, at, like the most, you know, elite camp in Iceland and all these things. And he was picking strawberries in the fields of France. And it was also romantic. And I was, you know, this was the very beginning of this year I decided to take off, uh, school. And so I'm thinking to myself, I'm just like riveted. And I go, Thomas, before I go to sleep, I, I, I just got to ask you one more thing. How do I do that? I want stories like that. I want to have uh, like a richness of experience like that. What do I need to do? Uh, just give me, like, give me your, your, your hack. What's the trick? And he goes, it's actually pretty simple. I think you can do it. Um, you need some time. And the other thing you need to do is just trust people completely. And you need to walk out uh, of this house tomorrow morning. First thing, say goodbye to the host family and put your thumb out 
and the rest of the world just happened to you. And, uh, and you will have some unbelievable stories at the end of it all. And I thought about it. I went to sleep. I woke up the next morning and I said, I'm going to do it. So I said goodbye to this family and decided I would start hitchhiking towards Greece. And before I even woke up, Thomas was gone. Uh, it was, all felt like a dream. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I just love that. Like, I just love that he rolls up. He's like got the beard. And I just love to picture him like he's like, I'm going to make some rice and then maybe play oh, some it, tennis. It was so, like <laughs> digging through the cabinets in a very respectful way, but looking for some sort of hot sauce or something <laughs> to put on this white bland rice that he had packed with him. Um, <sighs> it, it was incredible. So so then the next morning I I put my thumb out and I'm intending to go to Greece and uh, I end up uh, on a I end up on a ride that with a guy who told me he was going to Greece was being dishonest and took me to Turkey and it and I and it ended up being just this un, incredibly uh, just wild adventure uh, and I never looked back I spent the next 11 months hitchhiking around Eastern Europe and then South America um, and that's was my primary way of getting around. I never paid for transportation apart from the flight across continents. Um, and then let me just tie this all together. So, yes. so then I'm, I'm in Argentina uh, about five months later and I have just stayed on this little kind of commune of sorts where, uh, there's 11 other people who are all from different countries and all have their own um, skill that they're contributing. So like there's, uh, a guy who entertains us and juggles like flaming pins and there's, uh, you know, there's a person that, that makes like the sausages or whatever. And then there's me, I make, I was the bread guy. I was making bread this whole time up there. And, and so, so I'm, I'm making bread next to the guy who's making dinner. And, uh, and he tells me, he's this French guy. He tells me that he's about to go to this thing called a rainbow gathering. And at the time I'm no idea what he's talking about. He's got this accent and I'm, I'm intrigued though. He said, I say, what is that? He goes, it's the most magical thing in the world. Uh, you know, you have to come. And I say, well, you know, at the time I was thinking I'm going to take this year off and I'm going to write about it. I'm going to write a, you know, a novel or something. So I was like, this is perfect. He tells me that, um, the only way to get there is to get to this little suburb of, of a suburb of a suburb. And, ask for cyber one at a little cyber cafe and he'll show you the magic school bus and they'll take that into the middle of the rainforest and, um, you'll be able to find it from there. And so I'm so intrigued. I'm like, this is chapter one. Yeah. And, uh, so I say, of course I'll come. And, uh, so the next morning I decide to leave this place that I was staying at and he, we wake up early and he tells me that he had also told some other person that they should come. And so now they're going to go together because you can't really hitchhike with three people. So I'm on my own. So I say, okay, fine. And so they're gone. I spend, it takes me 10 days to find this place. It's only like four hours away, uh, by car. And it's just so, so out there. And when I finally find it, I finally find Juan. He shows me the magic school bus, the magic school bus, uh, drives 40 kilometers into like the thickest, densest, rainforest imaginable and on a dirt road pulls off at one point where you know and un no marker just pulls off and the girl one of the there's five of us that are getting dropped off at this time one of them gets out of the of the bus and just howls into the rainforest and and we hear back this epic just chorus of howls and just follow it in and then when we get to a juncture where there was a fork we howl again and follow where the, the, the voices are coming from. And then you keep doing that. And we did that for 30 minutes until we found this little village 
that was made of like thatched huts and little just makeshift structures. And it was just a city built in the, in the woods. Um, and it was an impermanent thing lasting built around the cycle of the moon. And it's just the most strange eclectic place I could have ever imagined finding myself in. And, uh, you know, there's a center for information and rumor control and there's a circus and there's a huge, uh, teepee, an enormous teepee. And then there's this huge, uh, fireplace, like not fireplace, like, uh, it's a center circle with a huge fire in it and there's rings of people around it. And, um, there's so many things that go on and on about this place. It's, uh, there's, you know, everyone's cooking in these pots that are the size of a car. Uh, there's these like, five central kitchens and it's, it's, there's, there's 500 people out there and they're all picking berries and, and gathering nuts and stuff to cook. And, uh, I mean, I, I'm, this all continues to feel like a dream and I'm like, I know I'm like, this almost sounds like a, like a Tim Burton film or something. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, mean, I, I need to consult him about what to do with this. Cause it, it felt like that. And, uh, so there I am, I'm there for four days. It's a pretty weird place. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm very into uh, like learning from all types of people. And so I'm learning a lot, but at the same time, I'm not, this isn't my natural <laughs> element. And so after three or four days of it, I'm starting to go, okay, I've, I've seen enough and I am ready to kind of move on. And then I also get deathly ill. And I should mention that on the way in without the house, there's, there's no way to distinguish where you're going. And, uh, there's, so there's no real way out unless you're going out with someone who knows the way. And there's, there's gotta be 50 different, um, forks on our way in. And like some of the forks forked like five or six ways. Cause everyone's out picking berries all day. So I'm thinking I need to get out of here. I'm like ready to go. I'm feeling really, really sick, like horrible. And I don't know how to get out. And so, but the next morning I resolved to like spend the whole day working my way, uh, you know, through the bushes and just try to get to a street and then get, get out. Um, so I get up really early, still dark out, pack up my things, put into my backpack and start walking on this little dirt trail. And within three minutes, I'm at my first fork and I don't know which way to go. So I just go with my gut and I turn left. And then this happens again another minute later. I just go with my gut and turn right. I do this for 30 minutes and now I'm completely lost. And I'm like, okay, I've made a big mistake. Yeah. And, uh, so I just keep going and I keep going and I keep going. And for the first time, uh, of this morning, it's starting the dawn starting to break. Uh, I start to hear something in the, in the sort of in the woods, uh, some signs of life. And I have my head down and I'm trying to focus on what it is. And I end up smashing into this guy who turns a corner right at the right time, uh, same time as me. And before he could fall, I grab his backpack, like, um, the, the shoulder straps and hold him from falling and I'm looking right into his eyes and it's Thomas, the same guy that I met what? In, in Romania four months earlier. And, and this I'm is now, in, and this is in Argentina. This is in Argentina oh on fork number 15. It's like 6am in the morning and densest rainforest imaginable. And I'm just, I still can't believe that this happened at all. I start crying. I'm like, I go, do you remember me, Thomas? Do you remember me? And he, uh, he doesn't (laughs) because I, at this point I've grown out a beard and he's got his hair and we both are different people. But I, I just start telling him, I was like, you know, we met for an hour in a flat in Romania four months ago. You told me to hitchhike. And if you hadn't told me that I'd be doing 
my life would look so much different right now, but like I'm here now because of you and I start rambling and, and in, in reality, he, he had changed my life almost more than anyone ever had because of the radical reorientation of that year and what that's sort of, how that's impacted me since then. And I just couldn't really communicate all this to him, but I was trying so hard and I just felt like it was, it was such an unbelievable coincidence. I couldn't find the words for it. And I was so, so, so deeply grateful. And, uh, so we went on our own separate ways and eventually I found my way to the road and I thought a lot about this in the, uh, the years and months after. And, um, and it really, really relieved me in a lot of ways that I ended up running back into him because I, after I met him, I started to kind of just travel and do whatever I wanted. And at the time when I started out the year, I was planning on working at an orphanage and then teaching children English. And so that was a very, it turned into something a little bit more selfish than it it started out as, at least that's how I was starting to feel. And I was feeling a little bit bad about that. And I didn't have anything resume worthy of, of it to show for this year. I was just, you know, I was just hitchhiking. Yeah. And, uh, so at the time I was like kind of uneasy about that. And then I met Thomas again and I, and it occurred to me that just by him telling me a few stories, it totally radically changed my life in ways that I never could have otherwise changed. And, uh, and it, and it allowed me to see that maybe even though I wouldn't run into some of the people who I had told stories to or who I had met along the way, I might have had some small impact on the way that they learned to trust people and believe in others and, um, and love others. And so really kind of, I don't know, that, that coincidence totally shaped uh, who I've kind of become and definitely reinforced my uh, desire to hitchhike and <laughs> love for hitchhiking because stuff like that though maybe not that radical has continued to happen to me uh, every time I put my thumb out. So there's a, there's a hitchhiking story for you. Wow. Okay. You need to write a book then it needs to be turned into a movie and then you're just like, wow. Oh yeah. I know, yeah. I don't know if people would even believe it. It's, <laughs> there, there's stuff they can't think you'd even believe. You'd think I made it up. I love it. I love it. I want to hear more stories, but here's what I think. You just have to come back on the show another time <laughs> right. because <laughs> I, I think we could just do an entire podcast series like Matt's hitchhiking stories. <laughs> it's true. I've, I've considered it. I, I have too, many, too many businesses right now. <laughs> I know, yeah, I know. Yeah. Last thing you need is to launch another business right now. So <laughs> Matt, thank you so much for your stories are awesome. You are awesome. Your heart is awesome. I just love your passion for people, for the world, for other cultures, for just I mean, just doing good and for just, you know, bringing a little bit more kindness in the world. You know, I think we're in a day and age where, like, the world could just use some kindness and people like you. So I just really appreciate you sharing that with us. And just I know you've inspired me. You're going to inspire lots of people. And so I can't thank you enough. Well, I really appreciate all of that. And it was fun talking. And I obviously love and appreciate what you're doing. And we're proud to to call you a member of this community we're building and, and your support of it is is incredibly meaningful to us. So well, thank you. Yeah, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Um, for, so for people, lastly, for people who want to connect with Causebox or connect with you online, how can they do that? What's the best way for them to go about doing that? So Causebox is simple, causebox.com. Um, you should join uh, because uh, the boxes do sell out in our winter box, our, our fall boxes running thin, but the winter box, I'm telling you, it's going to be a, a it's going to be incredible. We're really excited and proud of it. Um, and, um, let's see, personally, uh, 
I don't do the social media as much, but uh, you can find me at Matt Ryan Rich uh, on Instagram. I occasionally post photos from some of these crazy adventures. So uh, if you're if you're if you're intrigued, that's where you can find me. Awesome. Well, Matt, thank you again so much. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. And thank you guys so much for tuning in this week for another just awesome episode of the Business with Purpose podcast. As always, if you like this show, please be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever podcasts are found. We are there. Um, leave us a review. Uh, we, I, will, I just want to like crawl through your digital device that you're listening to and hug your neck when you leave us a review because I just really appreciate it. And thank you for you know, sharing this podcast with your friends because that's how we're able to get it out there and, you know, and be able to share these awesome stories of so many awesome people. So, and we'll see you guys uh, next time on the Business with Purpose podcast. Bye.